So it um, really seems to be the case that the longer I teach, the less I have to say. <laughs> and it's a really interesting experience when it comes to talk day, <laughs> because it's like, hmm, they want to hear me say something. <laughs> And I'm just paying attention to the process, and I feel like I have to honor it in some way. That, so it's like I do. I come up with a theme, and then it's like sitting in a room with it and it kind of looking at it. But the truth is, when I get here, the room's really different. And it just seems really hard to put it into a linear way that it's all going to beautifully unfold and you'll benefit from. So instead, we kind of have to do this exploration together. Uh, and we'll see how it goes. And that is actually, as some of you who've been practicing with me for a while realize, uh, she's going to give a disclaimer to the <laughs> linear types. <laughs> and that, you know, I just, hopefully there's um, some, something in it you can draw from if it doesn't hang together succinctly. And that actually, if you are a linear type, <clears throat> what I really encourage you to do is if you find that, hmm, what she's saying it doesn't really seem to make sense <laughs> in some way, to really watch, to see if you can shift from the mind figuring it out to kind of relaxing into a felt sense of what's being said and to see if that helps to clarify in any way. And so I wanted to speak tonight about something that happens as we sit here in silence. You know, at times, even when things get really quiet, still, and then suddenly there's some maybe memory that arises and a strong torrent of emotion follows it, or somebody, you know, some yogi who we don't even know does some gesture and suddenly we feel like rage just springs up. Uh, just this aspect of how we can at times experience really strong states of mind, emotions. You know, and we find within this that there is, um, could be a lot of different emotions that arise. We find that it's connected to thoughts in the mind. And we find that this gets reflected in the body. So tonight, just doing some kind of exploration of what happens when these torrents come through in our experience. Because often when they do, we think, oh, I'm doing something wrong. If I was a really good meditator, this wouldn't be happening. And we can think that we need to get rid of these experiences in order to meditate. And that's not the truth of it. In one of the suttas, the Buddha described this whole um, concoction of being a human being as the all. And he talked about how we needed to directly know and understand the all. And when he spoke about the all, he was speaking about um, seeing, hearing, um, smelling, tasting, touching, the mind, and mental phenomena. And so the emotions clearly fall within this realm of the all. 
And if we are thinking that they are something we have to get rid of in order to meditate, we are missing what we really need to open to and to fully and directly understand in order to alleviate suffering. He actually said that without directly knowing and fully understanding the all, there would be no end to suffering. And so we have to be inclusive of these waves of emotions that come through. These waves of emotion you know, can feel like you know, the karmic sludge of our beings. They can feel like just you know, wild waves in the mind. Or they can just be really quiet uh, moods or atmosphere in the mind that we might find that we just subtly start identifying with or defining self by. We find that when we actually make room for these emotions, allow them to be the fodder, the place of our practice, that what happens is that what may have seemed very solid, very real, very much a sense of who I am, you know, whether we are defining ourselves by anger, frustration, rage, fear, or defining ourselves as being happy, joyful, peaceful, that what we really start to see is when we pay attention to this atmosphere, the mood, the the tone in the mind, that it starts to desolidify. We begin to see that some of the strongest aspects of our experience, you know, say fear, for example, Fear may have been huge in our lives. We may have really felt like we are run by fear and that we do our best to avoid that will, which, which will induce fear. And we have this whole identity around that fear. But when we start to pay attention to it, we really start to see the components of what that fear is made up of. And we begin to see that it isn't so solid, that it is really, you know, just um, conditions arising, and uh, you know, it's it's all conditioned. There's different aspects of it. When it's not fed, it just goes its own way, has its own nature. And out of this, we really find that we can find peace amongst strong emotions, mind states that pass through. For many of us, emotions may be quite difficult. And there's two really different ways that emotions can seem difficult. And that's really, you know, depending on our personality traits, um, the, you know, just different tendencies that we have. For some of us, we may have grown up hearing that we shouldn't have emotions, that we should always be in control of ourselves, 
and that it, you know it really leads to a sense of denying, repressing. Uh, I, I was once in New York City, and I went to um, the Rose Center, the museum in the Museum of Natural History, and it was at a time where there was this uh, movie being shown in in the in this theater that was about journeying into outer space. And on this journey, I mean, you really had the sense as if you were going out into space. And then it was such that the theater even started to shake as you know, you're moving through this space. And there was this little girl in the theater with her parents. And she got really scared when this started to happen. And then her parents started to yell at her, you are not afraid. And there's this child sitting in terror. What does she do with it? And we may all have had similar experiences where, you know, as children, our parents not knowing to, what to do with their own emotions, and then you get a child in their terrible twos, and, you know, it's just a clashing. And it's like, how do we stuff this in the box? How do we get rid of this? And so we may have really deep tendencies to think that when emotions arise, it's not okay. And we even take that into our spiritual practice. You know, a good practitioner, always equanimous, always at peace, never ruffled by anything. And so we start to see, you know, just looking at somebody and aversion arises, it's like, boom, no way, get rid of it, we diss it, we don't want it. We, um, or, you know, we start to feel fear and it's just like clamp down on it. Or, you know, we start to feel some kind of, you know, trembling of emotion and then it's like, got to build that concentration, you know, can't let this throw me. No, and, and we can have really kind of unskillful ways of, of not allowing that emotion to be in its nature, to be as it is. Then there's a whole other uh, group of us whom maybe have in our lives had very easy access to emotions. And in fact, that, you know, they are plentiful, they are abundant, and they are completely overwhelming. And so we find that when emotion arises, it's like just getting lost within it. And, you know, we, we cry at the drop of a hat, we um, feel immense sadness, you know, even seeing somebody, somebody who's in pain, but we're, we really just get lost in the sadness that's there. And, and for that reason, we become fearful of emotions because we get consumed by them and lose all bearings and really don't have a strong understanding. We aren't able to, to be present with the emotion, even though we actually have this accessibility to the emotion. We can find then that emotions are something that we feel jerked around by, whether it's you know really causing us to live in a tight and controlled way where we're continually battling to keep them under 
the lid or whether we're just you know tossed about by the simplest of emotions or the, the even the small emotions and you know certainly i remember back to my own childhood and there was an abundance of emotions and what would happen is these emotions would come through and they could last for days you know that they're just the being lost in them and you know at times when i was young there was a lot of sadness and so there was just long periods of time where that was the texture of experience and no real sense of being present in it well you know the other aspect that can happen in there is that, uh, you know, with fear, where in our lives we have experienced strong fear and actually become frozen within it. That, you know, it's like a not wanting to venture there because there's this whole feeling of rigidity and one cannot move within. You know, it really a sense of being bound within something that is extremely uncomfortable. And yet this is all what we need to explore when it's there. You know, there's certainly times in our practice where it isn't such a prevalence of emotion. But when it is, when that's our experience, when that's really what's coming out of this experience of being alive as a human being, needing to look, to see, to understand, As we do this, it's needing to maybe at first just notice, is there a willingness of heart to be with this, to open to this, to feel this, to allow this? Is there some friendly relationship in the mind that you know, can see it? Maybe it's anger sees the anger, and it's like, oh, this is what's here. This is what I can open to. This is what I can be with. Or is it of resistance, of not wanting? It's really important to notice with these emotions if there is some form of resistance. And I don't know about you, but in my experience, I've so often seen when the resistance is seen and just allowed to be, it, it, it's no longer fed. And from that, we can be with. But so long as we aren't recognizing the resistance, we can't actually be with it. And that in itself can be so tiring so draining, and actually the scene of the resistance and then allowing it to be can be such a relief. We actually take the seat with what is rather than resisting what is.
It's in doing this and really taking the seat with these emotions that we taste of the power of mindfulness and the refuge of awareness. How when any of these states seen with the purity of awareness are not so terrifying, are not so frightening. I have moments in, you know, from my own practice of remembering when, you know, there was anger that had been resisted, fought with, you know, it wasn't the picture I wanted to have of myself, you know, and so there's just all this aversion to seeing the anger. And then in a moment of sitting in the room of anger, the place of anger, and letting it be felt, tasted, touched, there was just such a purity to it. And it wasn't fed. It was just known. This is anger. This is what anger feels like. Or I also remember it really strongly with fear. And fear that had so much power when it was being resisted. When it was being, you know, either pushed away or running from or you know just just not being able to stop and be with and then that moment of knowing wow this is what fear feels like and there is in these moments a real stopping and we aren't in the complexity of it, that it is just the condition that is prevalent in experience in that moment. It is a conditioned experience that has you know, its own texture, its feel. It has the universal characteristics. It's impermanent, impersonal. That there's no lasting satisfaction, happiness to be found in it. And this is all just from one moment of stopping, being with, opening to, as it is. I remember to like moments where there's a moment of sadness. And maybe there'd been a big story about the sadness. You know, something that was complex and was a mixture of emotion. And then just by by touching into the body, this has often been for me a key in touching into the purity of the experience, feeling it in the body because it's not so complicated. And, you know, feeling what, what seemed really convoluted, complicated, and then just feeling a heaviness, tightness, pressure, heaviness. And then it was like sadness. And there was just one teardrop. You know, it wasn't that wave of the sadness of my life that will repeat itself over and over and over again. It was a moment of knowing sadness. 
So in, if we can be with emotion in a really simple way, we just make a shift from having to do something with this to just being with, with awareness. As it is. And that, you know, that awareness has within it that power of the non-judgmental mind. And that, that is so amazing because it allows for everything that's there. I mean, just reflect on how in our hearts and minds we carry deep pockets of wounding of aspects of life that we think is so unacceptable. From the perspective of awareness, it doesn't matter. It can be known. It can really be brought into this light of awareness. There's a teaching from Suzuki Roshi that I really love. He says, the only way to endure pain is to let it be painful. No, and yet we so fear doing that. We so fear letting it be. And yet, there's a whole strength of heart and mind that comes when we do this. Um, some of you may know a woman who was on staff here named Heather Maloney, and she is a very creative artist and musician. And I was just recently heard her uh, playing music, which was just a delight, because so much of what she sings about comes from her practice. And she has a song called uh, Let It Ache, and you know, the, a line from it is, if your heart is aching, let it ache. And it's just that simple, in a sense. If your heart is aching, let it ache. But with awareness, with presence, with feeling it in body and mind, the totality of, with no part left out. And it just leads to the vastness of the heart, the heart that includes everything, isn't fragmented, isn't partitioning off that which is okay and that which isn't okay. So, you know, just really imagine sitting here and letting be with that deep wounding that we carry within being with it from a place of complete acceptance. Not in the story about, not in the thoughts about, but the impact of that in the present moment.
we have moments where we sit with this purity of heart, this purity of awareness, which is, helps us to gain confidence, helps the mind find a greater stability, helps us to uh, be less fearful in the arising of new strong emotion. And yet, these emotions are complex, deep, that you know, they, they uh, often can date back to patterns of early childhood, maybe lives before, I don't know. But you know, there's a, a real you know, karmic piece of this. And so we often will find that there's times when we have that capacity to be with, and then we get pulled into some aspect of it. And it, it becomes really challenging. And you know, it, the, the, the walls are shaking, and it does feel threatening. But then again, even there, as that, that quivering, that wavering, that sense of real vulnerability starts to happen, take an interest right there. Have that sense of inquiry, exploration. Well, what's happening here? What's being identified with? How is this experience solidifying into something that feels so intolerable or unbearable. And you can look at it in that, with that uh, sense of inquiry, in different ways. It sometimes can just be that we notice that in one moment, maybe anger is there, and there's a real ease and peace, there is a peace, the peace that comes from the awareness. And even though that the experience has the, <laughs> the waves, <laughs> whatever that word wants to be, if it isn't there, <laughs> has the uh, <laughs> When I was little, I used to make up my own words. <laughs> um, so it has that, that that texture to it. And, and then we see that the mind catches on a thought with it. And that thought has weight, has impact. And then the anger just, you know, it, it was like this little uh, ember. And then suddenly, it's like this raging fire. And then, and then you know, in the, with the interest being there, it might be just an interest in seeing how quickly that caught. But that interest helps the mind stay steady with the experience. Or we might have just interest in um, how being aware affects the emotions or the effect of the thought on the experience. Or we become interested in who's knowing this experience. So anger is there, and it's really strong. Known by who? And we just look in the mind. There's so many different aspects of interest that can be present that will help us to keep what, and then what that interest does is it keeps that openness of mind. And it, it's again, it's not like we need something different to happen. It's being interested in how volatile this is, how tenacious this is, how you know, 
changeable this is. No, and it could be that even in one moment, the mind is so caught in the grips of something, and then, boom, it lets go. So we just take an interest in the, the whole experience. And this is really a place where we will see the links between um, thoughts, emotions, and body. We can really come to get a good understanding in our own experience of cause and effect. Doubt is something that I've always been amazed to just watch in the mind the power of attaching to thoughts of doubt. And it seems to be, in my own experience, it was something that has been quite prevalent at different times, different forms of doubt, Um, from doubt about capacity to do the practice, uh, you know, moments where the times that um, practice could be going along really steadily, easily, very interested in what's happening, even moments of what seemed like real insight. And then, you know, kind of having this voice of doubt arise as to who do you think you are? You know, as if you're somebody who could never truly have moments of insight. Um, Or, you know, doubt about what one can do in one's life. You know, I, I've seen um, just a, a simple mundane experience of uh, I was riding a bike up a hill and being mindful, present, and then the voice of doubt would come, I'm not going to make it. And then uh, just being able to recognize it, it's just doubt, connecting back in, continuing on, again, voice of doubt comes up. And again, being aware of it, voice of doubt, not buying into it, staying present. And then in one moment, that voice of doubt came out, and the next thing I knew, I'm standing on the side of the road, you know, not even having seen it take hold. But it does. It has an effect. And, you know, just having seen, like at times in my life, rock climbing, um, being up the, the, the side of a rock face, you know, part way up on, on the end of a rope, making a move and then suddenly having doubt that I could do it, and just being frozen by the power of identifying with that thought. It's really quite amazing to watch in our minds the impacts of these thoughts that get identified with, that can really feed into the emotion So we have an interest towards the whole constellation of what, you know, is emotion, thought, body experience. Can be helpful if we see, say there is somebody here whom every time we see them, aversion arises. So rather than sitting and looking at them, It can be helpful to look at the experience itself. So taking the mind away from what looks to be the object of of the anger and really looking at the emotion itself coming back. And it's interesting that that whole little shift there is actually huge because 
before we meditated, we may have had a way of relating to experience where you know, there's somebody who continually irritates us and they become the, they are so closely associated with the anger that we don't see the separation between them as a person and the anger we experience. And so, you know, it's really important to shift away from something that's, when we look at, get really angry with, to what the actual experience of the anger is. And that will help to simplify it. There may be times when we really have to venture into this exploration with respect, honesty, and caring. And that's where we begin to notice that we are exploring these mind states, but mindfulness isn't stable enough. And so we keep getting swept away into them. And at these times, it becomes helpful to balance the being with something like anger or fear with opening to some neutral aspect of experience so that the mind can stabilize. Many times we also like hold a view of being a good meditator as being able to be mindful of anything and that it's a sign of weakness to open to something other than this mind state, which is really strong. But that isn't wisdom. No, wisdom is going to help us find where we can meet our experience with mindfulness. And so, you know, if you find you're getting swept away, and it could be that you're sitting in this mind, strong mind state, you keep going into the story of it. You know, the story is so often what keeps these mind states fueled. And so we're just getting lost in the story. It can be something as simple as sitting with your eyes open because you want to be in present moment experience. And so, you know, just that helps to bring the steadiness. And then it might be aware of whatever is there, the fear, the sadness, disappointment, and seeing or hearing. So just helping the mind find that stability so we can open to these experiences. Sometimes when they're really tenacious, we have to step back and you know, just really look. It might, not, it might look like anger, but there might be something that's fueling that. Maybe it's a feeling of unworthiness. But because the anger is, you know, maybe it's moved into a self-righteous anger. And because it's, um, you know, it's, it's so vivid that, that we aren't actually seeing what's underneath it. And so sometimes, you know, just stepping back, you know, and you might, in, just in your posture, feel like, you know, you're kind of in the anger. And then it's just like, oh, step back, broaden the view, look. Is there anything here that hasn't been noticed? You know, it's kind of like you're looking around the room again. You, you've seen this and this and this, 
But is there anything else here? And then you just kind of look and see. And you know, sometimes then we start to see what's the fuel, what's feeding, what's giving it life. And then there can still come times where it's just a sense of we either get exhausted with it, that you know, we've been lost so many times, we've, been, uh, you know, we, we've <laughs> tried every form of inquiry, every, you know, it's like the, the, the different techniques that we know to be with just feel like ineffective. Uh, we're losing the sense of losing ground and being really just swept away by it. It can be time to really step back and, you know, really do something different. And it could be that, you know, we go for a walk. And I know sometimes when I've really been um, just rattled by something and tried too hard to be with, It's like then you just get in this knot of trying to be with these mind states. And you have to you have to just let it become natural again. It's the mind has gotten into this interfering way of being. And so it's just like, wow, relax, let be. You know, just sit, look, feel the wind, feel the breeze. Breathe. And don't try to do anything. Really let the mind be as it is. And that isn't a sign of failure. You know, that can really be the voice of wisdom. The wisdom that allows the mind to find the balance again. It's so important that we practice in a respectful, honest, caring way. We really honor what's here, the totality. Just to revisit briefly summarize what I've said. (laughs) I thought to do this for the linear types. (laughs) I'm learning. (laughs) To stabilize being with the experience. Purity of awareness, purity of mindfulness. Just letting be. And having an interest. If it starts to get challenging, can actually do some inquiry. What's happening? looking, find the balance if we're getting overwhelmed, including a neutral aspect to experience, alternating between the strong state of mind and that which is neutral. Then stepping back, seeing what might be fueling it, what's What's the fire? What's feeding it? What's the booster to the emotion mind state? And then, if need be, doing something else 
taking a break. Really just letting the mind rest, be, not trying to do anything with it. Letting it find its natural equilibrium, a practice of non-doing. We really discover through this process, through being with these, you know, sometimes strong states of mind, that there is a refuge in our hearts and minds. There is a way of knowing, being with these states where we are not run by them, are not controlled by them, not needing to live in fear of. As we begin to see this, which, you know, doing the exploration with the little states of minds that are difficult, and then going right into our deepest fears, we really start to gain confidence. Confidence, a sense of fearlessness, a courageousness of heart, that willingness to dive in, to be with. We really learn to use all of these experiences as the vehicle for liberation, as to the place that freedom can be discovered in the here and the now. I'd like to share a teaching from Ajahn Sumedho. He says, the freedom from suffering that the Buddha talked about isn't in itself an end to pain and stress. Instead, it's a matter of creating a choice. I can either get caught up in the pain that comes to me, attached to it, and be overwhelmed by it, or I can embrace it and through acceptance and understanding, not add more suffering to the existing pain, the unfair experiences, the criticisms, or the misery that I face. Even after his enlightenment, the Buddha experienced all kinds of horrendous things. His cousin tried to murder him. People tried to frame him, blame him, and criticize him. He experienced severe physical illness. But the Buddha didn't create suffering around those experiences. His response was never one of anger, resentment, hatred, or blame, but one of acknowledgement. This has been a really valuable thing for me to know. It's taught me not to ask for favors in life or to hope that if I meditate a lot, I can avoid unpleasant experiences. God, I've been a monk for 33 years. Please reward me for being a good boy. I've tried that, and it doesn't work. To accept life without making any pleas is very liberating because I no longer feel a need to control or manipulate conditions for my own benefit. I don't need to worry or feel anxious about my future. There's a sense of trust and confidence 
a fearlessness that comes through learning to trust, to relax, to open to life, and to investigate experience rather than to resist or be frightened by it. If you're willing to learn from the suffering in life, you'll find the unshakability of your own mind. That's really the invitation to find the unshakability of your own mind. It's within the realm of possibility. For each of us to discover for ourselves. And that's what we do here. It's the purpose of the practice. And it's through this very mind and body that you're aware of as you sit here. Even when it is unpleasant thoughts, torrents of emotions, even when it hits upon our deepest wounding, I'd like to close with a teaching from uh, Kosho Uchiyana Roshi from a book called Refining Your Life. The true self includes the entire world in which it lives. Therefore, there is nothing that is not a part of it. Everything encountered is life. To devote ourselves to everything we encounter and throw our life force into doing just that is quite different from simply exhausting our energies playing with toys. Here is our passion for life as joyful mind manifests the significance of being alive. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.